vast darkness, deep in a cloud of gas and dust. A sovereign work begins. Within this distant nebula, gravity causes collisions of hydrogen molecules and atoms begin bouncing off one another. As the collection of molecules grows, the temperature begins to rise. When this sphere of superheated matter reaches 70 centimeters in diameter, the temperature climbs to 10 million degrees. At this point, the violent natural process known as nuclear fusion begins. Hydrogen fuses together to form helium and matter converts to pure energy. Finally, at 18 million degrees, a transformation occurs. Light bursts forth and a star is born. The light from the infant star races across the cosmos at 186,000 miles a second, taking hundreds, if not thousands of years to finally reach our planet. To pierce the night sky. How awesome is science? What? Was that not incredible? I digress. So, hey, let's do this. I want to welcome everyone at our Lakewood campus, our Littleton campus, Golden, Arvada, the men and women at God Behind Bars, our podcasters, our onliners. And can we do this at all of our campuses? If you're visiting with us first, second, third time, or maybe you're from out of town and, and your family here, they drug you to Red Rocks Church. Not hopefully literally drug you, but like they drug you right to Red Rocks Church. We want you to know this. You genuinely are our honored guest. There has been so much prayer for you. And if that sounds weird or, or stalkery, I apologize. But we just, we all the time are asking God to bring people through these doors so that they can experience the love of God that we've experienced. And so we prayed stuff for everybody at every campus, things like this. God, would you give people by the time they walk out of the, the doors at their respected campus, would you give them a, a degree of peace that they can't even define? Would you give them a, a degree of joy that's uh, inexpressible and full, God, of, of your glory? Could people walk out better than they walked in? So at every campus, can we do this? Can we just give the most gracious round of applause for all of you who are visiting with us? We just want to welcome you. Yes. Thank you for being here. Now, I got to do this. I, I'm, I'm happy about this, and I never thought I'd say this. I, I got to talk more about science. Are you guys good with that? Because science is awesome. Okay, you guys just saw in that video just one star being born. You guys just saw the divine energy that has to be exerted for just one star to come into existence. Now, here's what's awesome about that. When you start to think about all of the solar system and all of the galaxies is this. There are 300 sextillion 
I said that. I said sex in church. Sextillion stars that they estimate to be in existence right now. That's the latest data that we have from scientists around the world. I, I didn't even know sextillion was a number, Red Rocks Church. I knew a million. I knew there was a billion. I knew there was a trillion. I knew there was sex. I, didn't, I did not know, though. I did not know, though that there was 300 sextillion stars in the sky that at some point by God, the author and the designer went through that process. Let me, let me put this in layman's terms for you, okay? That is three with 23 zeros after it. If you times three trillion times 100 billion, do you know what you get? 300 sextillion. Do you know what this means? Do you understand, Red Rocks Church, the implications of that? Let me tell you, because it's awesome. It means that George Lucas and J.J. Abrams have incredible job security for a long time, right? Where are my Star Wars nerds at? Anybody? Anybody? I saw Star Wars last night. In fact, I forgot to greet my Star Wars nerds, so... That's Merry Christmas in Chewbacca. You guys know what I'm talking about. Now, here's, here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy to me in this scientific realm here. They believe in just our Milky Way, should have been the Butterfinger, but the Milky Way galaxy. (laughs) They believe this, that there are of the 300 sextillion stars out there in existence, a hundred billion of the stars are in our galaxy. Now here's what's even crazier about that. There's this book I read that I believe is completely perfect and authoritative. It's called the Bible. And you know what the Bible says about those hundred billion stars in our galaxy? It says God hung them there to govern our night. So any of you hung lights, gentlemen? And don't act like you don't do it competitively. Don't act like you don't have ego when you hang lights. Don't act like you don't go out there and you kind of look around at the neighbors to make sure you just got a few more than them, right? That's what we do. But let me tell you this, gentlemen. Let me humble all of us men. God's got you beat. He's the original Clark W. Griswold before Clark ever existed. A hundred billion stars just in our galaxy. And the Bible says it's to govern our night. And here's what's even crazier. One of those a hundred billion stars that's in our galaxy, it's the one that happens to be closest to us. We call it the sun. It's a mere 93 million miles away. Do you know what the Bible says about that? It says it's here to govern our day. And I think the Bible's being a little bit modest when it says that. You know why? Because the sun doesn't just govern our day. Do you know what else it governs? Our existence. Do you understand if there wasn't a designer and an author behind that star some 93 million miles away, and that star decides to go rogue one day and shoot? Do you know that we're gone in a millisecond off this planet? That's how powerful one of 100 billion stars and scientists, this, I can't even wrap my, I'm still blown away by the McRib, more or less this information. (laughs) Scientists believe that outside of our galaxy, that there are another hundred billion or more galaxies. Now, because we believe that there is an author behind all of that, here's what it means. That same author of that kind of magnitude decided to put himself in human form into the womb of a woman and subject himself to the chaos that we call planet earth. And I believe there's a reason behind it. And that's what I want to talk to you about at all of our campuses for the next few minutes. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter two. We're going to read a story about, I think maybe the most important star in the history of the world. It's Matthew chapter two. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll come up on the side screens. And it says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, 
Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who is to be born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophets written. And now they quote a 750 year old prophecy at this time, which was done by a prophet named Micah. They quote it. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it arose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child Jesus was. And I want you to hear this verse because we're going to come back to it. It has some incredible implications with it. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now I've spent the last couple weeks preparing for this message and the first thing I typically do as a preacher when I'm preparing a message, it's, the, it's not the only thing, it's the first thing I do though, is once I decide the particular part of the Bible that I'm going to preach from, I just start reading it over and over and over. I don't go to commentaries yet. I don't start learning the history behind it yet. I don't start learning what the theologian said about it to make sure I'm not up here hopefully preaching some type of heresy. I just read it and I start to let God speak to my heart. And I start to just see what I see in it. And so I did that over and over. And I started then after that, I started to study the historical implications of this story. And then after that, I started reading some different articles and stuff about some of the scientific implications about this astronomical phenomenon in the sky. And I started reading all the science behind it. And I started learning a little bit more. And I started to come to one conclusion as I was putting it all together. And I want to pass this on to you because of all of the things that I think this Christmas narrative teaches us. This story about some wise men and a star and the savior of the world. The thing I think this teaches us is this. And it's deep. So if you're taking notes, I want you, I'm going to say it twice. So you make sure you get it because this is deep because I studied hard. Ready? This is it. Here's what this narrative teaches us. God cares deeply about you. Again, I told you it was deep, so I'm going to say it again. God cares deeply about you. And I know what some of you are thinking, especially if you're new to that story. You're thinking, Chad, I just read that story with you, and it says a lot of cool things, and there's some really interesting historical stuff, I'm sure, in there. And I'd love to read some of the stuff about the scientific implications. I'm sure it's entertaining. But one of the main themes that I did not just draw from that story is that God cares deeply about me. I didn't get that. Well, I, I want to talk to you for a minute about where I come to that conclusion. And where I come to that conclusion is by first looking at who these magi were. These guys are Middle Eastern, dark-skinned men from what is now modern-day Iran. Now, when they lived there, it was called Babylon. It was the nation of Babylon or Persia, okay? These guys were extremely wealthy because here's what they were. They were Babylonian prophets, 
Now, the Jewish prophets would speak on behalf of God with what? With the spoken word, right? Not these guys. These guys would speak on behalf of the future, which was their religion, to the religious leaders of the day. They would prophesy via the movement of the stars. We call this science or pseudoscience astrology. Back then, it wasn't a pseudoscience. It was an extremely credible science. As much as biology and physics and all of that stuff is credible to us, Astrology was a credible science back then. These men were powerful. These men were wealthy. Their kids were the kids that got what they wanted at Christmas. You know what I'm talking about? These guys were held in high esteem with the most important and powerful officials in all of the land because these guys were the diviners. These guys were the ones that could predict the future, or at least they thought they could, based on the alignment and the movement of the stars. And the reason I'm telling you that this text, this narrative teaches us, it screams to us that God cares deeply about you is because of this. Babylon at the time, do you know whose enemies they were? Israel's. God's chosen covenant people. Israel typically had olive skin, right? They were olive skin people. And these Iranian people are dark skinned Middle Eastern men. These two groups couldn't look more different than each other, right? But I want to tell you this, Red Rocks Church, the minute that God went out of his divine way to start manipulating the cosmos and start dealing with constellations and stars in the sky in a supernatural way so that these dark-skinned Middle Eastern Iranian men could come and be introduced to the Savior of the world, that was the minute in the Christmas story that God's shouting to the world that he loves humanity deeply. And by default, he cares about you deeply. See, it would have been one thing if he would have just stopped with the Jewish shepherds that Eric talked about a couple weeks ago, right? Wasn't that an awesome message when he talked about the fact that God is for the underdogs? Because we all think we're underdogs, right? Because there's always somebody out there that's doing more than us, same stuff we want. There's always someone richer. There's always someone doing something at a higher level than we're doing it. And so we can always romanticize with the underdog. But here's the problem. These guys are overdogs. These guys are the ones that we get jealous of. These guys had it all. And here's what's even crazier. These guys are Gentiles. They don't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know what these Magi's believe in? They worship the stars. They don't worship the creator. They worship a piece of creation. They're settling for something way smaller. You think God would look at that group of people and go, you're not my covenant people. Look at the color of your skin. You're at odds with my people. You're always at war with my people. Do you understand the statement that that God of the universe is making and how he is so for people and how much he deeply cares about you? The minute he went so far and went to such great lengths to hang that star in the sky and lead them to Jesus. Do you know what God's saying in that moment? He's saying this to us. He's saying, I don't care about skin color the way you guys care about it. He's saying, I don't care about wealth the way you guys care about it. He's saying, if you're white, black, red, yellow, if you're rich, if you're poor, he doesn't look at your socioeconomic status. He doesn't look at your social status. He doesn't look at the color of your skin. He doesn't look where you come from geographically. He doesn't look at your religious persuasion or what you believe or don't believe. When God sees people, he sees his image bearers. In fact, one of Jesus's best friends who Jesus would later empower to start what we now call the church, a guy named Peter, in one of his letters to the church, do you know what he says? He tells us about God's heart. And do you know what he says? He says, it is God's will that no man should perish. 
Now, there's people all over the world every day that unfortunately are perishing and dying in their sins because God also in his sovereignty allows us to play a part in that salvation experience. It's this thing called free will, right? He lets us choose. He, he, he plays a part. Now he goes, and I want to argue tonight, he goes to such great lengths to get us to choose the gift of salvation. Does he not? And when he has these wise men who we think, because we always categorize everything, don't we? And God came at Christmas to destroy categories. He either sees you as holy or unholy, nothing else. When God's judging you, he doesn't see overdog or underdog. All he sees are, are you holy because of Jesus Christ or are you not? That's it. And that's the beauty of Christmas is it just comes and it shatters down all of these categories that we fearfully put each other in. And when those wise men get that star, that's just God saying, listen to me, Red Rocks. I love everyone. And it is my will that nobody perishes. And if God can go to that kind of great lengths to give them a supernatural celestial phenomenon like a star, whatever it was, Matthew doesn't tell us. If he went to that great a lengths for Gentile enemies of his covenant people who are rich enough to not think they need God, but instead they'll have a hobby of studying stars. If he went that far for them, how much do you think he cares about you right now? See, God brought a bunch of you here who might not otherwise come to church for me to just be a middleman and to tell you on behalf of God that no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've believed or not believed, no matter what the color of your skin is, no matter what socioeconomic group you find yourself in, God only sees you as his child and he loves you and he wants you jealously for his own. This is the message of Christmas. But here's the awesome thing, Red Rocks Church. God doesn't just love you in kind of a generic international fashion where it's kind of, God cares deeply about the intricacies of your life. He cares about the pains you go through. Let's talk about one end of the spectrum of life. But he equally cares about the passions. He cares about the things that you care about. And I want to talk about both those for a few minutes. I want to boil it down and say, hey, here's the deal. If God cares about you that much, then I want to talk about specifically how he cares about your pain. Because the truth is, there's a bunch of you at all of our campuses, 2015 for you was marked most by pain. That's not all of us in here. And I'm going to talk to you in a minute too. But for a bunch of us at these different campuses, that's your storyline for 2015. The theme of it is, it was painful because of the thing, the divorce, the death, the sickness, the bankruptcy, The wayward kids, fill in the blank. I mean, all kinds of stories that we could tell in this room and at the other campuses and be blown away by. And when I say that God cares for you deeply, I want you to know that he cares for your pain. And I want to take it to a whole new level right now. God doesn't just care for your pain. He cares for even the pain that you've caused yourself. And I found that in this story. And it blew my mind. And I had to kind of take the long way historically to get there. So stick with me for a minute. Let me give you just a little bit of information in this story. When I started reading it, I'm somewhat analytical. One of the first questions I asked that probably some of you asked when we read this story is, how do these guys that live a thousand miles away in Iran from Jerusalem, how do these Middle Eastern men even know about the king of the Jews and that he's supposed to be born and that there might be some constellation in the sky that's actually supposed to let them know that this Messiah has actually been born? And how did they even know that he would be born when they were alive? 
You ever wonder that when you read the story? How did they know that there's someone to be born king of the Jews? Do you know how they found that out? I'll tell you why. Because of someone's pain. God took a whole nation's pain and used it for a divine purpose. Let me explain to you. About 550 years before those magi were born, Babylon, Iran, went into Jerusalem and completely destroyed it. They, they went to war and they destroyed Israel's most sacred building. They destroyed the temple. And then here's what they did. All the Israelites scattered and the Babylonian nation took tens, if not hundreds of thousands of Jews into captivity and brought them to Babylon. So what ended up happening is over time, the war died down. Everyone had peace again, except this wasn't for years. This was for a couple generations. So there were Jewish kids that were born in Iran. So you fast forward 500 years and there is a large population living peacefully in Iran that are olive skinned people living with dark skinned Middle Eastern people. And they're all getting along so much so that the Jewish people started having schools and universities put in. Listen to this commentary. I read this last week. It says this. There were significant Jewish centers of learning in Babylon at the time of the Magi. Gentile religious leaders in the East were regularly exposed to Hebrew scriptures, prophecy, and teachers. So now you fast forward 550 years. There's a bunch of Jewish people living peacefully somewhat with these Iranian and Babylonian people, and they're actually starting to learn each other's culture. Radical idea, right? And these magi, they they get all geeked out. They're scientists. They get all geeked out about constellations. So you know, smart people just like to get smarter, right? So you know they started going to some of these Jewish learning centers. And you know they started to learn things like Numbers 24, 17. Put it up there. It says this. It says, I see him. This is a prophecy. They would have dug this. They would have loved this. I see him, Jesus, but now I behold him but not near. In other words, it's not his time yet. But then listen to this. A star shall come out of Jacob. Now they're talking the Magi's language. They're going, oh, okay, there's, there's a constellation that's part of your prophetic nature and part of your prophetic story. There's going to be like a Messiah and part of it has to do with the star. And they're like, yep, a star shall come out of Jacob. And it says a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And they would have all known about the famous Israelite who lived in Babylon when they got taken captive 550 years before that, a guy named Daniel. Because Daniel worked his way up through the highest of ranks in the Babylonian government. He was like the man. They would have known that in what we now call the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, that Daniel gives a a, a very specific timeline about when the Messiah would be born. And they happened because of studying it to go, we happen to live when Daniel says this Messiah is going to be born and there's going to be a constellation that's going to announce it. So these magi have their antennas up every time they go out at night and start looking at the stars because they're going to be looking for this Jewish Messiah. That's one of the things on their work list. Now, here's the point I'm trying to make. The pain and the plight of some tens, if not possibly hundreds of thousands of Jewish people that got beat in war got ripped out of their sacred land, got their holy temple destroyed and got moved whether they wanted to or not a thousand years away in the midst of the darkest hour they had, God still used their pain for an extremely divine purpose for his glory and for his story. And God still is in the business today of taking your pain and using it for his glory. And here's some even better news. Even your pain that's self-inflicted. 
Even your pain, Red Rocks Church, that you've brought on yourself, that you constantly say, well, God can't forgive me for that. Or God can't redeem this because I'm the culprit. Or God surely couldn't use me through this because he's got to punish me to to keep me from ever doing this again. And what God's saying in this story is, no, no, no. I used the self-inflicted pain of Israel because here's what I haven't told you yet, historically. Do you know why the Babylonians won that war? Because God said they were going to. Because Israel was under God's judgment, because Israel had fallen so neck deep into idolatry and so far from God, after many warnings that God gave them through his prophets, they still said, we don't repent. And God said, okay, I'm a God of my word. And God in his grace brought discipline on them in the highest way. They went through some of their most painful time as a nation. And the whole time they're going through it, whether they realized it or not, God was using them to reach a whole new people group. Even your self-inflicted pain, God wants to not only redeem and forgive, but listen to me, he wants to use it to help other people in the process. Now, I knew this would be hard because I took the historical long way to really drive home this point, and so I wanted to bring it into 2015. And there's just this amazing girl in our church named Kelly. And she's got this story that involves some, some pain that she brought on herself. And the beautiful ending to this story, and it hasn't fully ended yet, is how God's chosen to redeem it. Watch this. I went to college. I you know, had a good education. I was top of my class in high school and everything. I had everything going for me. And um, I unfortunately got addicted to drugs. Um, first it was cocaine and then um, methamphetamine. And... Um, it just it took me down and uh, I did have some periods of sobriety which would just give my parents and my kids I have four kids that give them hope again only to be like have their hearts torn out again because I would relapse and every time I relapsed I would just get ten times worse every single time as a mother like that was the hardest thing that I've ever had to do because all I ever wanted to do was be a mom and I failed yet again. From 2005 until I got arrested in 2012, um, it was just misery. I just lost all sense of who I was. I had no relationship with God. I didn't even believe that he existed. It was November 2012, and I remember looking at myself in the mirror, and I weighed about 88 pounds. And... uh, I just couldn't recognize myself. I did not recognize myself. And I just said, God, if you're real, if you are real, I need you to show up. And I need you to show up now because I'm going to die and I don't want to live like this anymore. A couple days later, I was arrested uh, sitting in the back of the police car. I never felt more of a sense of relief than that day. And I knew I was facing some time. Like I had been robbing houses. I had been writing checks. I had been stealing from whoever. Um, and I was on a statewide crime spree. I had three different counties involved and I absolutely was so relieved to be caught. And, and I knew that God physically stopped me when I couldn't stop myself. So I went to the Denver, uh, women's correctional facility and, um, 
it was it was the hardest day of my life when I first showed up there. I mean, seeing those gates and those fences and the barbed wire and the, you know, it was so scary and just like, I couldn't believe that my life had turned out like this. Like, you know, I can remember being just a little girl and just, you know, playing with my sisters and just enjoying life and, and never in a million years did I think that I would end up in prison. And it was just such a horrible experience, but yet at the same time, like I got, I got to meet Jesus like I've never met him before there. I, the relationship that I have with Jesus and that I got during that, like I would go through all of this again just because if I came out with that, like it's all worth it. God Behind Bars was amazing in there. It was so awesome. Um, I started going from the beginning and I would tell everybody to go to it. And like I just, my my bond with Jesus just started growing even more and even more. And just the freedom that I felt like, I, like I never felt ever in my life. And I never felt, I never thought that going to prison, I could feel as free as I did. You know, I was in way worse of a prison in my addiction and on the streets and in living the life that I was living um, to get the drugs and to and stealing and doing all the other things that I was doing to get the drugs. That that prison that I was living in with, and being able to find Jesus was just such a freeing experience and such a blessing. I never thought that prison would be the place that saved my life. And I tried running. I tried running. I tried hiding. And, you know, he searched long and hard for me. God has just been so good and so wonderful. And no, I never thought that he would talk to me and save me in a, by sending me to prison or rescue me by putting me in handcuffs in the back of that police car. But I'm so glad that he did. Isn't that awesome? Guess who served her time and is out of prison now? Kelly is. And she happens to be at our Lakewood campus today. And she's sitting on the front row. Can you guys give her such an awesome round of applause? We love and appreciate you. So special that we get to celebrate with you this Christmas. So awesome. So awesome. At all of our campuses, would you give it up for Kelly? So cool. Now, and I understand if, if it's hard to read that, that story and to talk about some ancient Middle Eastern men and to appreciate the great lengths that God's gone by way of their story. And that's why I wanted to bring her story into this. And the reason I wanted to was to say this, and she, she, she knows what I'm going to say. And I say this with the utmost respect, but listen to me, if God went to that kind of length for one woman in prison who brought all that stuff on herself, she was a self-professed drug dealer, drug addict, thief, identity thief, and probably the most painful thing of all for her that she would tell you is that she, for a period of time, abandoned her children because of her addiction and because of where she had gotten in life. Come on, moms, you understand the pain of that. Obviously, as a mom, you go, well, if there's one thing that can't be forgiven, it's that because that's what I was trusted with and I forfeited it and I let it go. 
You think if anybody deserved for God to turn the other way and say, yeah, you're not helpable anymore, it would be Kelly, right? But no, he not only puts her in prison when she would have never done uh, anything herself to get off that addiction, to get off those drugs or to quit stealing. Do you hear what she said? Do you know what her star was? It wasn't a celestial phenomenon. You know what it was? It was handcuffs in a cop car. She said the most peace that she's ever felt was when she was sitting in the back of that cop car because God in his graciousness let her experience some pain and the consequences of it so he could take it, wake her up, and redeem it. And now thousands of people at Christmas are going to get to hear her story and be changed by it. God doesn't just take people's pain that's outsourced, pain that, that, that you didn't go looking for, it came looking for you because a bunch of you, that's your story. And listen, if God cares that much about self-inflicted pain and goes that far to show how much he cares about Callie, and you've got, you've got outsourced pain, pain that, that you didn't go looking for, it came looking for you, how much do you think God cares about what you're going through right now, Red Rocks Church? God cares deeply about you. But I know there's a whole group of people, again, everywhere, and, and it's, not just, it's not just pain that's the theme of your story. Some of you had an incredible 2015. And you're like, as much as I appreciate that, and as much as I believe that, and as much as I'll store that in my memory bank for the future, when I'm going through a season of pain, right now everything's great. Well, can I bless you as well this weekend? Can I tell you that Christmas also screams this to us through this story, that God deeply cares not just about your pain, but on the other end of the spectrum of life, he cares deeply about your passions. Isn't that good news? And you say, well, Chad, where do you find that in the story? I want to read verse 10 again. It says this in Matthew chapter 2. It says, when they, the Magi, saw the star, here it is, they were overjoyed. Now, I would have thought if Matthew's kind of rewriting history a little bit, he would have made it more Christian-y and said, when they saw Jesus, they were overjoyed, Right? But Matthew just tells the truth and he says, when they saw the star and it really did what the Jewish prophecy said it was going to do, it stopped over the house of the Messiah. They were overjoyed. And here's why. Their passions intersected with the creator of passion. The thing they loved most, the thing they actually prior to this encounter worshipped wasn't Jesus. Do you know what it was? The movement of stars. And now all of a sudden the movement of stars brought them to who? Jesus, the creator of the movement of stars and all the stars together, right? The one who holds them in place. And listen to me, Red Rocks, nothing in life is better than when your passions collide with the savior of the universe and you start to realize that he's actually the one that gave you those things that you love. See, it's easy to spiritualize the difficult things. It's easy to preach good news to people that are going through difficult times. It's easy and we romanticize all the difficult stories because we all understand that. But the equal good news is that Jesus came to tell you, I care about what you care about, even the small things. And here's why. He's the creator of even the small things. If he was just the creator of the big things and didn't care about the small things, then we'd preach against the small things. But I got good news. The little things in life that some people in, in the church world will call petty and small and insignificant, God looks at and says, if you care about it, I care about it. You know why? I created you to care about those things. Even cats. If you care about cats, guess what? And it pains me to say, but I decided 2016 is the year that I'm going to not talk any more trash about cats. I'm lifting cats up. You cat lovers deserve it. You've put up with enough from me. You've put up with enough from me, right? 
And, and it's hard to say. It's going to come out a little slow. But God made cats perfect. He made cats perfect. That's never going to be my passion because he also made me allergic to them. I really am. But can I tell you, I have some, some, some serious passions that, that a bunch of you in this room would consider petty and insignificant to the great kingdom of God. Uh, football. I love football. I unapologetically study football. I know stats that a lot of you would be ashamed that your pastor knows. Like, do you know memory verses that well? I'm like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> but can I tell you where that instinct came from for competition and for sports and for, do you know where that came? Do you know where that, you know, in Psalms 139, God says, when he was weaving Chad Brugman together, it was no shock that he was weaving me to love athletics and sports. And I'm not that good of them, but to, to, to participate and to play and to watch. And what if, what if we remember, what if Christmas also screams to us that God wants you to experience the joy of the passions? When they saw that the star did what the Jewish people told them that it was going to do, they, this was like the constellation miracle of their lifetime. This was the great discovery for these scientists, right? These magi. And guess who was at the source of it? Jesus. And the next thing that happened after they were deeply in joy because of the star is they went and they worshiped who? Jesus. See, when your passions finally collide with the creator of them, eventually you'll start to worship him more than your passions and everything's awesome. That's the best thing in life when that starts to happen. And the, the thing, and it's so specific, and I was even wondering, God, is this important enough to tell them and spend time talking about? And God said, absolutely, talk about it. And so what I came to tell you is, listen, anything in life that you care about and you think it's insignificant and you think it's small and you don't talk to God about it or you don't talk to other people about it because you don't think in the grand spiritual scheme of things it matters. Listen to me. God says, I care deeply about your passions from music to art to literature to food to finance to education to math, to science, fill in the blank. God, God's the creator of all of those things. Sin is just the perverter of those things. So we start to categorize what we think is holy and unholy. It's all holy if it's done under the glory of Jesus. You understand that? God cares deeply about what you care about. We forget that before sin, his intent was to put us on this earth to enjoy it, right? Radical idea, to enjoy it. That's why I like the rock star that we might call secular. Do you know what I call them? I call them worship leaders who just haven't seen their star yet. To the scientist, the atheist that we think is trying to go against God's word. Do you know what I call them? I don't call them atheist scientists. I call them magi that just haven't seen their star yet. To historians and to great writers and to novelists that are penning things for the generations passionately that we love to read, you know, and, and, and they don't necessarily give glory to God or they don't write perfectly everything for the glory to God. You know what I just call them? They're just scribes that haven't seen their star yet. And I could go down the line with all of your passions one after another and say, this is what it is. God cares deeply about every aspect in your life from the passions to the pain and everything in between. He cares deeply about you, enough to bring you here. I want to end with this story. And band at all campuses, you guys, you can go ahead and come back up. I was Googling great lengths a couple weeks ago when I was starting to prepare for this, because thank you for Google. And I Googled great lengths in the first page or two. All I got was ads for hair extensions. And so I was like, this isn't real helpful. Yeah, I, I don't need those right now. So I was like, this isn't helpful. 
And then I finally, I think page two or page three, I came across this kind of obscure article that it was just showing the headline in it. And it says, local barber cuts the hair of a kid with autism. Said something, something to that effect. And I, I was like, okay, I got, I got to read this. And there's this barber over in Wales, England, and he owns a shop and his name's Jim. And Jim had this kid in his family that would come in every day. And the kid's name was Mason. And Mason has autism. And I'm a parent of four kids now. And by God's grace right now, my kids are extremely healthy. But as a parent now of, of four children, I have a deep compassion for all of you in this room that don't have children right now that are healthy. And some of you, you know, at any of our campuses, you know the plight of autism. You know what comes with that. You know what it's like to parent through that. And so as I'm reading this article and they put this picture up and I saw this picture and I, I, I had the picture next to the article and I literally in my office, I start getting tearful and I start crying. And it was especially when I read one line in the Huffington Post, it said this, because here's what happened. Jim finally, after a couple of times of Mason coming in and them not being able to cut his hair because he was so scared of the scissors and he didn't like sitting in chairs, his parents said he does not like sitting in chairs at all. And he didn't like the, the, the apron they, they put on him. Jim finally asked a question. He says, well, if he's not sitting in chairs, what, what does he do? And they go, Mason just loves to lay on the floor. No matter what he's doing, he just loves to lay on the floor. He doesn't like chairs. He says, okay, is there anything else? And they go, yeah, he loves this app on our phone. <laughs> There's just one game that he plays over and over and over and over. And he says, okay, do you have your phone? And he's like, yeah, get it out. And they got the app out. And he let Mason lay on the floor. And put, put that picture up. This is, this is Jim and Mason. Yeah, and when I saw that picture, I got so emotional. And it was like in that moment, God spoke so clearly to my heart. And it was a beautiful moment. God said, Chad, this is Christmas in a picture. This is Christmas. And here's what the, the, the article said. And here's why I'm telling you this is Christmas. It said, while the technique isn't one traditionally used, the post explained that Mason had been uncomfortable with haircuts in the past. And then hear this, Red Rocks. By going down to a child's level, literally, the barber could finally give the boy a trim. Could finally give the boy and the family dignity by going down to a child's level. And here's the deal. In God's kingdom, in God's economy, even if you're at our church right now and you're 80 years old, in God's kingdom, you are a child. And that's how God sees you. And he's your father. And when Jesus got in the belly of a teenage girl and put on a skin suit, as I would call it, and subjected himself to disease and sickness and depression and anxiety and fear and autism. And on the list could go of all of the crazy things that we as humans experience in this lifetime. When for 33 and a half years, he walked and talked with people and he cried with people and he laughed with people and he got involved with people and he healed people and he raised the sick. He raised the dead, excuse me, and he healed blind people. When he did that, this was the God of the universe getting on the ground and restoring dignity back to people who couldn't get it themselves. Just like Jim and Mason in the barbershop, Jesus came down and said, I'll get on the ground, I'll get as low as possible to restore dignity back to you. And he got up on a cross and he shed sinless, innocent, divine blood to seal the deal. And then he gave an invitation. He says, any one of you who will put your faith and trust and hope in my 
blood shed in your place will be saved forever. No resume, don't have to be awesome. And I will go to great, this is the cross. We don't all get a celestial star, right? We all don't get like the shepherds, angelic voices, but you know what we all got? We all got a cross and that was God going, if you don't think I care about you, look at the blood, look at the scars, look at the death, look at the burial, look at the resurrection you're deeply cared about, but you still have a role to play. You still have to receive this free gift we call salvation. So at every campus, with every head bowed and with every eye closed, I want to ask the single most important question that you will ever be confronted with. Listen to me. Tonight at one of these campuses, today at one of these campuses, this is your star. This is where God has led you to be confronted with the best news on planet Earth and to ask you and to invite you if you would like him to save you. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It's a gift from God. And it is eternal. The Bible says that heaven is real and it is eternal. And the Bible says that hell and separation from God is real and it is eternal. And it is not God's will that any of you perish. And so right now, if God's been speaking to you and you know in your heart that this is the truth, I want to invite you right now by raising your hands boldly to receive the saving work of Jesus Christ at all of our campuses. If you want to give your life to Christ, would you raise your hand right now and keep it up boldly? We're celebrating with you. Keep it up. Every campus all over the place, keep it up. We want to celebrate with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for your boldness. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what Christmas means and I thank you for the good news that comes because you came into this world for us. And now, God, I pray as we worship you, Jesus, that you would be so pleased with what comes out of our mouths because of what is in our hearts as we begin to sing to you, Jesus, that this would be such a beautiful expression of the good news of your grace. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. At all campuses, let's stand and let's worship.